Well, I am, I, honestly, I'm very glad to be here. I get to come about every six months and uh, catch up with, uh, now it's, uh, it's, it's not a client status, it's more like friends, although I still take the check. Um, <laughs> it's, it's more like friends, and um, I'm not like friends, friends. And, um, and I just, I'm just delighted every time I come to get caught up with what you're doing, the, the new ways that you're figuring out how to be people of blessing in this area. And um, I'm, I mean, I'm really stoked, and I'll, I tell other folks when I go about your work, uh, like the after school program and then the, the new work that's coming on in Kennewick with the, uh, the community development center that you're going to be hearing more and more about. And uh, candy, I, you know, I'm kind of um, upset I don't get invited on the weekends. You collect candy. Uh, you can tell by looking. Um, that would have been, or even the wine picking or the grape picking. I mean, you all do all this fun stuff and then you have me. You know, and, and, and uh, by the way, what size do the shirts come in? Um, I need a big size. Uh, the other day, Justin gave me a workout shirt that y'all use here, and I was offended at that. Um, I, th I think he meant it to be a nice gesture, but I took it as a suggestion. Um, I I'd rather just have a tent size shirt of Hillspring that, uh, that I could wrap around uh, on the airplane. Okay, well, let me just get this sermon over with. Because uh, I, you know, I woke up thinking about lunch today, and I'm pretty excited about that, and uh, other things that are going to happen today. So, um, are, would y'all, do you mind sitting down? I'm trying to have a sermon. <laughs> Although, usually I'm used to people walking the other way. <laughs> That, that begins and turns into a torrent by the time I'm, I'm through. I really like your vision statement of live, love, grow. I mean, I, I just, you know, it feels like hard rock. And, um, and, but I mean, it just gets it said so quick because the kingdom's all about the life God wants us to live and that he envisioned for us. Uh, you know, and, and, and loving's the way to, to get into it. And, and, you know, you put those two things together and that requires that we grow. I just love it. But I like your value statement too, although a lot of times when we hear values like connect, and, uh, which is the one I'm going to talk about today, and develop relationships, and we think of values as, you know, things we believe. But I can tell you values are the things that we do. Because, you know, our values in our lives, I mean, we could say, for instance, that family's a priority, but if we don't live like it, then, you know, we're, that's just religious talk. It really doesn't, you know, you, you know a person's values by what they do. So I really like the fact that you've been able to think, okay, if we're going to live, love, and grow as a community of faith here, in our community, uh, then what's that going to mean that we do, that literally we could observe that we are doing and, uh, and, and the first thing is, you know, connect with the people that God has put in our lives. This is an action. This is how we know that we're positioning ourselves to become more like Jesus. And so, you know, that, that values what I want to talk about. That behavior that you've determined that, that you want to do uh, is, is, is really the focus of our, our time today. Uh, we live in a world that's really connected. You probably, uh, you know, there's some ideas of, of things up there. So, you know, uh, we Wi-Fi connections and, and, you know, online connections and all that kind of stuff. But what's fascinating about our world, the paradox is, 
in a, in a world that's become so super connected, we're super unconnected with the people around us, oftentimes. It is a strange thing that with a, a capacity to reach out, literally, and touch the whole world, more people are feeling isolated, more people are feeling lonely, more people are feeling cut off from the folks around them. So it takes a determined um, a decision, a, a determination, actually, to push through all of the stuff, the activity and the, the ways that we're divided, and make ourselves available to other people, to connect with them. And, and that is an ongoing decision that, uh, that, that we don't make one time, but we make more and more. Now, some of you are extroverts. You find this to be no problem. You're look, I mean, you could relate to a stump. Uh, you know, uh, you, you would talk to a, a road sign out there, but, you know, uh, but, but others of us, you know, this is not about personality. Others are, of us are more introverted. Believe it or not, when I'm not up here, I, I really don't want to talk to you. Uh, and uh, and I, that's not true, really, sometimes. And, uh, you know, I'm not one of those guys that gets on a plane and witnesses to everybody around me. I'm, I'm just kind of... Uh, Sleeping, but the, the 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 key is that no matter what our personality, no matter what our station, no matter where we're positioned, I think a Jesus follower who wants to be a kingdom agent to bless the people around, hey, first thing we make a decision to be available to the people around us. Uh, I, Matthew comes to mind. I mean, uh, Brian's already uh, told you that that's what I want to talk because in the Bible, I mean, he's just a great example. Uh, I think we've got a portrait. Yeah, this, this was him sitting for his portrait. Um, <laughs> we have no idea what Matthew looked like. This is just a random, this is, this is me in makeup. And, uh, <laughs> and I have too much hair, you're right. Uh, you know, this is what I wish, you know, uh, if I had a really big enough shirt. So, um, so but Matthew was a tax collector. In, uh, and I mean, tax collectors still aren't popular. I, I get that, unless some of you work for IRS, and of course, your job is very important. Uh, I just don't want to be audited for the rest of my life. Uh, so, but you know, back, I mean, tax collectors were really not nice folk. They weren't really like, because they worked for the Roman government, and you know, uh, which is you know, way away in an imperial government, and, and literally, they could charge you whatever it was. They, they, got to, they assessed you. They sent to Rome what Rome expected. But anything they took in and, uh, over that, they just kept for themselves. So they extorted people. Uh, there was no code. There was no figure. That, I mean, they just would. And, and believe it or not, this guy becomes one of Jesus' followers. You're talking about an unlikely candidate for joining Jesus in his kingdom movement, but that's exactly what happened. Let's, let's read about it uh, together. So once again, Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him. He began to teach them. I'll read it here. Uh, and as he walked along, he saw Levi, that was uh, Matthew's uh, given name, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. He wasn't just sitting there, he was doing business. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Now, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, did he catch that? So he moves from Matthew follows him, and he follows him home, and he has dinner. Uh, Matthew immediately 
invites a bunch of tax collectors and sinners who are eating with him. Now, I wish that word sinners was in, uh, we'll pause right here for a minute, it's in quotation marks, because oftentimes it's not there uh, in, in the translations, but I, 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 when you hear the word sinners in the Gospels, I want you to understand that was never a term God used about people. It was never a way Jesus referred to people. Sinners was what the religious crowd talked in terms of the people who weren't in their tribe. You know, the, the Democrats. Uh, <laughs> I'm messing. Uh, the Republicans. Whoever's not in, you know, it's, 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 it's those other people that aren't like us, and thank God we're not like them. Okay, so that's what you need to hear every time you receive. So, so in other words, you got a bunch of just ordinary people uh, that aren't religious uh, and uh, having dinner with, with, uh, with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him, even out of that crowd. Now, when the teachers of the law, now here comes the religious crowd. Oh, boy, they, they, would, have, oh, they would follow Jesus along like seagulls following a shrimp boat, you know. Uh, so teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners. There you go, quotation, and tax collectors. And they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? I mean, you know, does it, this is tipping his hand how he votes. On hearing this, Jesus said to him, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Oh man, Jesus is having a bunch of fun with these folks. I want you to understand he is, he, is, he is using sarcasm in a big time way because this religious crowd is saying, you're, you're hanging out with the wrong crowd, buddy. And, uh, you know, and, and they were so proud of their own purity uh, and how up, uh, you know, and, and so Jesus says, oh yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I, I haven't come for you righteous people. Oh, I've just come for these sinners. I mean, just catch the twinkle in his eye. You know, just the way, I mean, he never missed a chance to gig a Pharisee, by the way. Never, never, never. He'd be telling a great story about a boy coming that went away and got in trouble and finally came to his senses and came home, and the Pharisees would be out there, you know, running around. He's, I, one of them, he said, yeah, there was an older brother, too, in that story. And, uh, you know, well, he wasn't happy that boy came home. I mean, he, Jesus was always putting religious, because Jesus didn't come to stop. Jesus came to abolish religion. You got to get this. I mean, we make religions. The devil makes religions because that's the way you keep people in line. And that's the way you control people. And that's the way you fearmonger. And that's the way you distinguish yourself and how much better you are than everybody else around you, whatever set of rules you come up. Jesus came to blow all that up and just say, it's all about a relationship with my dad. That's what matters. That's the only thing that matters. And so he's hanging out. It doesn't matter if the folks are coming from a spiritual background or they're, they're cheats. He's going to have dinner with them because he wants them to see a better way of living. And somewhere along the line in there, Matthew taught us then that, you know, it ought to be pretty normal if we're going to connect with the people that God was. What was the most normal crowd for Matthew to introduce Jesus to? You know, the folks that were already in his life. So it's not just about connecting with everybody. It's God has put people in all of our lives that, that, we, you know, that we need to be paying attention to as a possibility to connect. Now, Jesus said, here, I mean, he gave us a little bit of a strategy, a way to think about it. Uh, his last words before he uh, heads back home 
recorded in the first chapter of Acts. He said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, the next slide will show you what this is. This is a, a set of, you know, concentric circles. And this is exactly how the, the Jesus movement spread through the, the, the Roman world. By the way, we weren't even called Christians back then. The first, the first designation of Jesus followers, they were followers of the way. Because, you know, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. So that was the first tag. A Christian came on much later. So if you're going to follow the way of Jesus, you, you know, tell, tell the story in Jerusalem, but then the Holy Spirit comes, and, and it's not just good. It, the, the Spirit scatters the church then, Jesus followers, out into Judea and Samaria, which is the larger geographic area there, and then finally the whole world. That's the progression that the gospel, the Jesus movement, took in early days. I think it's instructive for us. For instance, what it would look like and what it looks like, that same progression for you would be something like this. You're, in, you're embedded in Richland, uh, and, uh, but you've, you, you know, you're also part of this larger Tri-Cities. I mean, I, I don't think it's Tri-Cities. I've been coming out here a decade. You're up to about 10 cities. Uh, you know, I don't know why Tri-Cities. There are a million people, right? Uh, yeah, huh? Look, be helpful if I ask you a question. <laughs> Just further confuse me. Get up here and talk about some more Greek words. I'm trying my best to get English out to these people. So, I mean, you're, you continue to grow. I don't know where folks are coming from that wind up here, although I know why. You know, it's, it's, it's intriguing. Aren't you up to about a million people now? In, in five years, you're going to be a million. Okay, all right. Well, don't worry. Put your house on the market now. Uh, you, uh, you're going to have a bunch of buyers. So the, the point is, you're, you're part of this. So you, the work you do in Kennewick and, and you know, in, in, uh, your influence in, in multiple areas around where you have your after-school ministries and your mobile market and all this stuff that you do, your trunk and treat and candy stuff and wine, all that's part of the. Well, all right. And then you got the rest of the world, Honduras. So, I mean, you're following the same pattern, and, and it's not like you get to pick or choose one of these circles to live in. What Jesus is saying for his church is, you're going to have impact, on, you know, drop a pebble in it, you're going to have ripple impact on. But let's, let's just get it down personal, because you're already doing this. What does it mean about you and me? Well, I think, you know, I mean, you can do your own diagram here, but the, like the Jerusalem, yeah, that's home. The people in your life that are the closest to you, you know, you live with them. I mean, or your close friends. And can I just tell you that some of the people that we need to connect with the most are some of the folks that live with us every day. I mean, you know, there are, it's, it's pretty easy for me, uh, you know, I go home, I'm, I'm home a few days, I'm off someplace else. You, you, you may have some, but it's pretty easy to fall into patterns where you're really not connecting. I mean, you're, you're sharing space, you're eating meals together, you're kind of working through some stuff, but connection means you're available. You know, you're actually in touch with, you're, you're actually postured to, to have a meaningful interaction, which, you know, so, so even though we assume, yeah, that we oh, check that boss, maybe not. Maybe, maybe there's a child of ours that needs 
a little more attention. Maybe it's dad needs a little more help. Uh, maybe, you know, whatever. You, you got it. But then you've got your, your acquaintances that you're around all the time. Maybe these are work partners, uh, you know, friends that you golf with them or you're, you're, uh, they do your nails, your hair. I mean, what, what, whatever it is that you do, they're part of your uh, kind of routine. You see them all the time because of a certain rhythm. Church friends, you know, rhythm, your small group, whatever. And then we've got those extended network, folks that we occasionally run into or maybe only deal with one time. So you see, we, we all have uh, a series of connections ourselves to be available and open to. So really what we're talking about here is a decision to posture yourself to be a person of blessing to the folks you come in contact with and actually be available for connection. So I've just got 76 ideas that I want to pass along for ways that you can do this. This would be time to beep yourself out, uh, you know, on an emergency call, just not come back. Uh, be sure to gather all your belongings. As you, or anyway, I've got four things I want to say, and, and I don't even know what they are until Gene puts them up on the screen. So, um, so the first is, like Matthew, don't hide your connections with Jesus. I think we've been sold a bill of goods in this country because the enemy of the enemy whose kingdom we are invading, the, the king of the anti-life, you, you, know, you serve the king of life. There's an anti-life king. He's robbing people of life. That's his deal. I mean, and it doesn't have to be as dramatic as sex trafficking, although it includes that. It, it can be robbing of people of, uh, you know, of their life and by bad habits or just, just in so many ways. Whatever diminishes life is, is, is what he traffics in, okay? So in, 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 in your case, then, um, I think that king has intimidated us followers of Jesus in this country into believing that we can't even talk about Jesus, that that somehow is offensive to people. You know, this, that, that's just junk. That's not true. That's, I mean, people expect you to believe something, and I can tell you that, uh, you know, the people that are, are closest to us in our lives, our, our, our spouses, our kids, our friends, we find it easy to talk about them, and why in the world would we want to hide the fact that we are, uh, you know, Jesus followers? I was just with the Salvation Army, um, down in uh, San Antonio with a collection of their officers. And, um, and I talked to them about how critical, because they're in such an important role in our culture. They are the most trusted uh, 501c3. Uh, you know, they get more gifts uh, than any other group, faith-based group in our country. People trust them. And I say, it's okay to come out of the closet and admit you're Jesus followers. Don't just be a social agency doing good while that's fabulous and I'm all about it and I, and I help, in fact, I would rather you be good than not good, but the, and Jesus would too. But it's okay to, to admit why you do what you do. Uh, now that doesn't mean you have to always do it so that you're, you know, people grow weary, but you know, I'm just, just like Matthew introduced Jesus to his best friends, why would I not want to introduce Kathy, my wife, to my best friend? Why would I want to keep Kathy under wraps when she's way better than me? 
you know, uh, you know, I, I would want you to know her. I mean, if 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 uh, you know we were close. So so don't don't feel like you've got to hide your faith under some kind of rock. That's just just somebody sold us a bill of goods on that. Second thing, you how many did I, did I say I have suggestion? See how fast this is going. We're going to get, and, and I pick up, I know less and less about each one. So um, <laughs> it picks up speed here. You, you, your deliverance is almost here. Um, all of those levels count. By that, I mean, that's a weird way of saying it, maybe. But what I'm saying is, I think we ought to pay attention to all of those concentric circles. For instance, the Good Samaritan story, you know, that we, uh, and, and, and State Farm is, should pay royalties. Uh, every time they put on a commercial like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Where do you get the idea of a good neighbor? You get it from the Good Samaritan story. They stole that from the Bible. So the, Jesus tells a story, and it's funny because when we hear the word neighbor, we think of the people that have our zip code, that have mailboxes on our street, that live up, you know. Jesus didn't talk about that at all. He said a, a good neighbor is somebody that responds to somebody in need. You see, I mean, your connection with somebody may be a one-time deal. The Samaritan didn't take, uh, you know, the, the, the guy that was beat up and laying on the road for dead, if you remember the story. He doesn't take him home to raise. He takes him, puts him in a hotel, pays for his uh, health, you know, emergency room care and, and a place to rehab. And he goes on about his way. That may be the only thing that you're, you're called to do. But the point is, are we postured to be that neighbor, to respond to the people in need around us, at, no matter which level, whether it's right in our home or our friends at work every day or something we just see one time. See, I think one of the reasons we're a little nervous about connecting with people is we've got the movie Blindside in our brains that we think that everyone we, we can help is someone we've got to take them home and raise them and, you know, and adopt them and, uh, and totally rearrange our lives. That's not Sometimes a smile to somebody, sometimes a blessing to somebody is all they need and it makes their world better, makes their day better. Uh, it's, it's just paying attention and, and having the posture of being open to them. Any questions about that? Good. So number three. <laughs> this is interesting because I think that a lot of us, not you, I'm just, I'm just really rehearsing for the crew I'm speaking to next. Um, you'd be surprised. I'll be using this sermon even where people don't want it. <laughs> like here. Uh, but, uh, but uh, you know, we've got to open our own lives to be a genuine connection. And this may be the scary part of it. Because, you know, I mean, some of us, I mean, we're... For whatever reason, maybe we've been hurt a lot. Maybe we've risked a lot. You know, Kathy and I have been married 41 years. We've known each other almost 43. When I first, when we first started uh, dating, I mean, I, I fell for her. Boom! I mean, she she actually cut my hair. I had hair at, at one point. 40 something years ago, I had hair, and my sister lined up Kathy to come cut my hair. It was a blind date with scissors. And um, I mean, this is kind of kind of weird. Uh, so she comes. Kathy doesn't know she's being set up, right? I'm the only one that's made aware of this, and I'm not. I'm I'm nervous about because I, I that wasn't, it was my sister's idea. She knew I needed help. 
And so Kathy comes in, and, she goes, and I fall for her immediately. I mean, boom, I'm done. I mean, you know, I wait till she finishes, gets the scissors away, and I ask her out. Of course, she said no. And um, it, it, it took a little while, but that's another story for another day. But once she finally said yes, we started dating, I mean, it, it went pretty fast. I mean, uh, we, were, we clicked. But, you know, about a month in, six weeks in, I'm driving her back to where she, the dorm at the uh, uh, seminary. She was a student, graduate student like me. And so I was taking her back to her residence, and uh, we pulled up outside, and I said, you know, Kathy, this... I think things are going really well, don't you? And um, yeah, I said, but you know, I'm 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 worried. Now this is young twenty-something talk, okay? I said, but I, I am worried. I said, because you know, I've been hurt before. And you see, young twenties. I thought I was the only person that had ever been hurt. You know that that I, I was that made me really unique. That I'd had relationships that didn't pan out, and that had happened only to me on the planet. And so, I mean, and she, and she, she looked at me kind of because Kathy's uh, more emotionally mature than I am, and uh, so she looked at me and she said, "Well, I haven't thought about that. I got a card from her in the mail because I lived 70 miles away, it, it, back when you could trust the postal service." to deliver something, and we didn't have email back then. Y'all have no idea how rough it was. You had, to, you had to have a card, you had to write it. You had to put a stamp on it and take it somewhere and put it in a box and trust that it got somewhere. You have no idea what kind of world that's like. <laughs> so it was like two, three days later, I get this card in the mail, it's from her. And I open it up and it's a card that she bought somewhere and on the front, it said, love and risk are inseparable. And I opened up the card, and she had written in there, and read, we'll never know the depth our love can grow to unless we're willing to risk. Smart woman. There are people who've been hurt and decide that's the last time I'm going to risk. I'm not going to open myself up anymore. I can't take the hurt. And I can just tell you, love, just ask God. Love and risk are inseparable. We have to live our lives in such a way that there is some emotional Velcro on us that people can connect with us and feel a part of our journey. Let's see another slide. Is this the last one, G? Or is this the third one? This is the fourth one, isn't it? Well, because I'm, yeah, thank you. You're doing a great job, whatever they say um, about there. Um, I know. Um, Matthew was a person you didn't want to connect with if you were an upstanding Jewish citizen of the first century. You avoided tax collectors. Um, I mean, for lots of reasons. What I'm seeing in our country right now is this polar, and you're seeing it too, is this polarization in the camps where we don't fool with people that don't think like us, that don't agree with our politics, that don't pull for the same football team, that don't have the same values, that don't live in the same address, that don't have the same standard of living. That, I mean, we're separating into all these tribes, and we just want to hang. 
I, I go to congregations. Some of the churches I'm in are MSNBC churches. Some of them are Fox News churches. And I mean, I mean, and, and they're exclusive. If you go there, you you can't. And and and, uh, and I'm telling you, pastors are under increasing stress across the country with people wanting, you know, the the pulpit to be more political and to make a claim and stake it because we're being we're being pulled apart. This connection that I'm talking about with you and that you've decided you want to do is is it's being pulled apart by a, a culture that's trying to find ways that we are separate from each other. Of all people on the planet, Jesus followers ought to be the, the crew that says, following our, our mentor, our Savior, our Lord, because if he'd, only, if he'd waited and only dealt with people who were like him, it would have been a pretty short trip to the planet. And I doubt it would have involved a cross. But while I was, Paul says, while I was his enemy, he died for me. Of all the people on the, in the world, we are the people that should be able to have a big front porch where people can come together. We can focus on the stuff that brings us together not the stuff that pulls us apart. I think that's one of the best things you could show on your t-shirt, we're better together, in your lives. If Hillspring could just be that alternative narrative that people are having to deal with these days, that, that would be an enormous blessing to your community. All right, what's next, Gene? That's it? Have, well, let me show you what's next. I had a card up here somewhere. Can I? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, you didn't want me to speak, and now you didn't want me to have that. I, I bet you don't even want me to have my own T-shirt, do you? All right, so on your card that you were handed, there's a place that, that, that has those concentric circles, friends, family, acquaintances, network, and uh, I want you to just take a minute, think about somebody maybe that fits, or two people per circle. You're not limited here, and you don't have to fill this out. You can write it in if you'd like, or immediately some people that come to mind say, I want to be more open with them. I want to connect with them because God has put them in my life. And I'd like for you just to, to share it with somebody right, right there. You know, pick one or two or whatever. And you turn your pew around if you're separated. Uh, this is, uh, and, uh, and just talk to the people around you. Thank you for doing that. We're more likely to actually do something about what we say we're going to do if we tell somebody else about it. I want to tell you Tim's story, just a little bit of it. Tim grew up uh, in a black family about 100 miles from where I live, Charleston, South Carolina. A uh, single mom raising five kids. And Tim was in trouble, uh, like a lot of kids in those situations. Was not in a great part of town, uh, um, and he was not a really great student. And he was, uh, by the time he got to ninth grade, he was really on the bubble on whether or not he was going to stay in school or not or drop out. 
His mom, though, was pretty strong. And so she stayed on him and said, you're not dropping out of school. And, and on top of that, you're going to get a weekend job uh, to get some uh, responsibility and stuff in your life. So he took a job at the Central Square Mall movie theater, you know, back when people used to go to the movies. You don't know what that is. Y'all don't even know what that is. It's a, <laughs> it's a place you go and it's got a big screen and yeah, right. And yeah, they sell popcorn and stuff like that. Um, and so uh, Tim took a job at the movies, punching tickets, letting people go in. And there's a food court there and he'd go to Chick-fil-A and he would order French fries and water every, every Saturday, French fries and water. The owner of that Chick-fil-A, John Monitz, uh, be kind of began to notice this routine. Tim got on his screen. John happened to be operating one of the cash registers one day when th that line came to him, Tim got in that line and he got there and he ordered french fries and water. And John Monnet said, uh, you know, uh, son, we, we sell chicken here, uh, you know, if you want some chicken. And he said, oh no, french fries, it's all I can afford. Turned around and headed out the door. John Monnet went and grabbed two chicken sandwiches and headed out after him and found him in the food court and sat down. And that began a relationship. It was pretty profound. John introduced him in a personal way to Jesus. John helped mentor him, so he graduated high school, got a scholarship to college, got his first business. And when Tim Scott took the oath of office as the first black senator, from the South since Reconstruction in the United States Congress. He said, on top of, besides Jesus Christ, I want to thank two people. I want to thank my mom. I want to thank John Monitz for the investment he made. My, by that time, John had been dead 18 years. He never knew the impact, the full impact that he had on this young black man who had so much potential. You know, if Chick-fil-A had that story, I'm sure they would turn it into a commercial. And I can tell you, look at the power of a chicken sandwich, for crying out loud, <laughs> how it can change the world. But what really changed the world is saying yes to that nudge to connect. Just connect and see what God does.